0: Welcome to Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill, the podcast outreach of AKS Firearms Instruction, addressing the essential needs of the whole shooter. Your host, Tom Bushy addresses tips, tactics, and tantamount Second Amendment issues of the week. Class is now in session. Thank you for listening. As we look back here at Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill at the events, news, and tips for the week of February 17th. We've been enjoying some global warming this week, a very uncharacteristically warm February. We took advantage of that here at Apache Acres and did some coaching over the weekend. I had the pleasure of having a coaching session with Becky, a young mother of two. Now, where Becky lives, recently a public housing development had moved in or been built in a neighboring community. And as a result, she has noticed, as well as her neighbors in her community, people trespassing and disrespecting private property while she is at home alone with her homeschooled children. She mentioned that some menfolk in the family have offered uh, suggestions when they were uh, having family. Events and shooting airsoft guns and some of the uh, attitudes that they displayed kind of turned her off and, well, shall we say, may have inhibited her receptiveness to their teaching. So, yeah, attitude matters. Now, Becky's husband is a veteran and wants her to be able to defend herself and the children while he is at work during the day. So wisely, husbands generally should not train their wives in the use of firearms. And uh, Becky's husband, Justin, knew that, had heard that, and could testify that that's, that's probably a good idea. It brings me back to the days many years ago, decades and decades ago. My father and I used to be uh instructors with the Appalachian Mountain Club in the uh, realm of whitewater canoeing. And we had a hard, fast rule. No husbands and wives may occupy the same canoe when paddling on whitewater. It just seldom worked out well. And the same is true with uh teaching firearms. There's an interesting dynamic between husbands and wives. Tens- tensions can arise quickly. And uh, it's uh, it's best, oftentimes, to farm out the training of your spouse to uh, someone who's not part of your, your family dynamic. Well, it was a great pleasure to coach Becky and her husband, Justin, was there looking on and uh, they're uh, they're a wonderful couple. It was very pleasant to spend time with them that morning. Becky was born without a right hand. But I would definitely call her handy capable, because this handy capable mom did a great job and shot some really tight groupings by the end of the session. Uh so I was uh really happy with my time there. Great job, Becky. After we were done, I had to move on to a truly stressful situation, preparing to host my granddaughter's fourth birthday party. Yep. It was a busy time. Lots of energy expended. I slept well that night. Well, speaking of women and guns, are you familiar with the the uh, Kent State graduate who is known as the gun girl? Her God-given name is Caitlin Bennett. Well, she was in the news again uh, recently because she had, well, a year or so ago, I think it was in 2018, actually a little more than a year ago, she made the news because... She wanted to take her senior pictures at Kent State, uh, featuring her touting her AR-10 while she was on campus. Uh, It's just meant a lot to her, and she wanted her uh, pictures to feature her and her AR-10. Well, of course, that uh, caused quite an uproar. And then just recently, fresh after graduating from Kent State, a gun girl, took to the campus and flaunted her new right to carry there. You see, as a student, staff member, or faculty member, there is a policy at Kent State prohibiting them from carrying concealed weapons or or weapons of any sort, whether it's open or concealed. So this uh, this new rule is kind of ironic. I don't know how new it is, but this rule is kind of ironic. What's new is as a graduate she was then no longer considered a student staff or faculty member so she as a non-student was then permitted to carry her ar-10 on campus now this is uh this is kind of ironic i think and i think it flies in the face of reason here we have a non-student staff member can legally carry on campus and of course A criminal with evil intentions will carry on campus if they darn well please. They don't care what the rules are, what the law is. And said criminal could easily assault, rape, or kill a student easily since they know that those students are or should be defenseless because they're not allowed to carry. But the student and staffer, who decided they would carry anyway for their own self-protection would be subject to discipline if they were caught carrying a weapon uh, to defend themselves from the threat of an outsider who could legally carry the weapon. Adding to the irony was 50 years ago, Kent State was the scene, almost exactly 50 years ago, uh, was the uh, scene of the Kent State shooting of 1970. For those of you who don't recall, the campus and surrounding town were the scenes of massive protests of the Vietnam War, particularly after Nixon's Nixon's invasion of Cambodia. Cambodia was uh, supposedly a a neutral country near the conflict, and uh, the North Vietnamese were using it as a safe haven, and they were also using it as a place from which they could launch attacks against the United States and the Allies. So anyway, the uh, invasion of Cambodia did not set too well back home here in the United States, where the war itself was already extremely unpopular. So there were massive protests over a series of days. And I think it was on May 4th, 1970, when scheduled protests, there were speakers and stuff took place, despite the campus authorities uh, forbidding it. Uh, and of course, there was a refusal to disperse and the National Guard was called in and uh, the place was uh, the place was a chaos, a state of chaos. Uh, when the protesters refused to disperse, some of the guardsmen found themselves surrounded by the protesters and ended up opening fire on these campus protesters. Well, there's a, a famous... Crosby Still's Nash and Young song called Ohio based on these events, and as the song goes, four dead in Ohio. There were also nine injured from the guardsmen's bullets. How ironic it is now that one Kent State student fifty years ago, or excuse me, fifty years later could get such negative attention for believing that guns should not solely be in the hands of the government and that her right to self-defense from individuals or a tyrannical government should not be infringed. I see, makes perfect sense. Guns should only be in the hand of government. No, I don't really think so. Well, you know, conversations with my family and friends frequently turn to gun-related topics. I can't explain why. It makes absolutely no sense. One topic that recurs regularly uh, is people wondering what the best caliber for concealed carry is. And it's a good topic for discussion. And it's a discussion because there is no one right answer. There are there are many parameters that factor into the answer to that question for each individual. And uh, just like anything else in life, uh, life is full of compromise and trade-offs, and so is choosing your concealed weapon uh, and the caliber of the concealed weapon one of the things that invariably comes up is the term stopping power Um, you know some people uh, like the idea of how concealable a 380 semi-automatic pistol is but they want more stopping power and uh, I might mention that I, I carry a 45 and they go oh yeah you've got that stopping power usually when people talk about stopping power they're referring to knockdown power people want to blast an attacker back onto his keister or maybe hit him so hard that his ancestors will feel it as you you may have heard in some movies uh the the answer that i have for them when they talk about knockdown power is so contrary to what people expect i thought i would share information from the fbi's 1989 handgun wounding factors and effectiveness report yes it's a very poetic title. I know it's just you just want to sit down and page through it. It's only 15 pages long. And it is very interesting reason, uh, excuse me, very interesting reading, especially if you like science. Uh, there's, uh, there's some really good science in that document. And we'll talk a little bit about it right now. Now when we talk about this, about calibers and and ammunition for defensive carry, whether it's concealed or, or open carry, law enforcement, there are certain factors that we're going to look at. There's four terms I just want to lay out real quick and define. One term is penetration, and that is the tissue through which the projectile passes Uh, and that it disrupts or destroys. That's penetration. How far into your target does your projectile go? The second term is permanent cavity, and that refers to the uh, volume of space was once occupied by tissue, but that tissue has now been destroyed permanently by the passage of the bullet of the projectile. This is a function of penetration and the frontal area. Now, if you think about this, this makes perfect sense. Okay, a little, a little STEM moment, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. If you think of a, uh, the volume of a column, you take the, the area of the circle at its base and multiply it by its height. So the permanent cavity is similar. You could think of the, the base, the area of the base as the projected frontal area of the bullet and then the height of the column would be the depth of penetration. So if you calculate that as a volume, there's your permanent cavity, and that is a volume of tissue that has been destroyed. The third terminology here is temporary cavity. Now temporary cavity refers to uh, the amount of tissue that is disrupted, but not destroyed. When, When a projectile comes into the body, and uh starts to penetrate it actually destroys some flesh but also moves some tissue to the side and that that tissue is moved aside rather violently as you can imagine with um, with a bullet entering a body but it stretches out and then snaps back in so the the damage to the temporary cavity is is not permanent and has little if anything to do with uh, fatality or incapacitating your attacker. Your attacker. The fourth uh, terminology or the fourth term is fragmentation, and that is where projectile pieces or secondary fragments of bone, if your if your bullet hits your your target's bone and and causes fragments to that, uh, they are impelled outward from the permanent cavity and it's almost like uh, another little another little penetration path uh, and more um, more permanent cavities but much 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 smaller so fragmentation is little pieces of bullet or bone that extend outward from the penetration path of the bullet alright well so with those terms we're going to be referring back to those as we as we look into this handgun velocities Are much slower than long gun velocities Uh, commonly handgun velocities are at the at the muzzle where the projectile is exiting the barrel Uh, they're commonly less than a thousand feet per second but some may approach fourteen fifteen hundred feet per second Uh, not not commonly in um, in firearms that you use in carry situations uh, long guns are capable of over 2,000 feet per second, some of them well over 2,000 feet per second. And that is a huge difference. Okay, force equals mass times acceleration. So the the acceleration of that bullet from zero to 2,000 feet per second is, is huge. Now, handgun velocities of realistically sub-thousand feet per second... The idea of fragmentation is actually negligible. Fragmentation sacrifices penetration because you're taking the the force of the of the bullet entering the uh, entering the body and that that energy is dispersed as fragments go out from there. And that sacrifices how deep the bullet penetrates into the attacker's body. And that could lose, could easily lose the ability for the bullet to reach vital organs. And that's important. More about that in just a few seconds. Handgun bullets cause little more damage than the actual path it makes into the body. So the, the temporary cavity that I was just talking about, about how the flesh is violently moved aside and then snaps back in, it's stretched and it's damaged, but it's not permanent damage. So handgun bullets really don't cause a whole lot of temporary cavity damage. It's just the actual path that the bullet makes into the body, essentially. To incapacitate a body, a handgun must make it to and penetrate vital structures. The brain and the spinal cord in particular are the only reliable targets for immediate incapacitation, according to the FBI report. Now I would insert in there, this is not part of the report, But shots to the pelvis, which are are common when you're shooting from retention, in other words, when you're in extremely close quarters, like you are are hand-to-hand, face-to-face with this person, you can reach out and touch them, you do what's called shooting from retention, in which case... Pelvic shots are the first shots that are practical. As soon as you clear your holster with your weapon, uh, you are able to, with a, a, a downward trajectory, uh, shoot the pelvis. And if you do structural damage to the pelvis, your attacker is going to drop down. He's not going to be able to advance on you. But you'll still be tangled up with him um, with, a, with a hand-to-hand, force-on-force kind of combat. So that's, that's my little my little insertion back to the, uh, the material from the FBI report. Massive bleeding from holes in the heart or major blood vessels of the torso uh, cause circulatory collapse. It's the only other way other than brain or spinal cord hits that will incapacitate your aggressor. The problem here is that this massive bleeding uh, does not result in an immediate incapacitation. It can take as long as 15 seconds uh, for the brain to uh, stop functioning well if it's been freshly oxygenated and then all of a sudden that blood loss happens. Your, your brain can still work fairly well for another you know, 10 or 15 seconds even though you've had a rapid loss of blood. So that's um, usually what we say when, when you are uh, shooting defensively You're going to try to get a couple of shots in the torso, the upper torso, aiming for the uh, aorta, the vena cava, the upper areas of the heart. Uh, That's where damage in the permanent cavity uh, can cause a rapid, massive blood loss, leading eventually to uh, unconsciousness. And uh, then your opponent, your aggressor, drops. That's why I always say you stop them by dropping them. You drop them to stop them. The problem with shooting anywhere else uh, and expecting it to stop your aggressor is, uh, well, the the problem is reality. Uh, adrenaline, which is likely running high on both your parts, can cause can cause a person to kind of be detached from the immediate reality, like even even the pain of a bullet wound is not going to be immediately evident to a an aggressive attacker. So that adrenaline is going to uh, lengthen their viability to be a physical threat to you. Also, if an attacker is on drugs like cocaine, PCP, or heroin, that can disassociate an aggressor from his own pain and injury, and it's going to be harder to to stop that uh, stop that aggressor simply by inflicting pain or injury any old place on his body. You're going to want to try to incapacitate uh, your aggressor in order to stop them. Now back to this uh, this concept of knockdown power. You have you have an aggressor who's not really feeling pain, disassociated from the pain because he's on drugs, or just he's got a big adrenaline dump and he's not really feeling the pain that he should be feeling. You know, people, they, they want a gun that's going to, to hit that guy and knock him back on his keister. Unfortunately, the concept of knockdown power is a myth. It's a myth often perpetuated by Hollywood. You think of the Old West where a guy gets shot and flies back through the swinging doors in the saloon or or through the glass window and out onto the the plank porch in front of the saloon. And this is a total Hollywood concept. And I want to refer back to something a little more reality, uh, something a little more uh, reflective of reality, and that would be our old friend Sir Isaac Newton. Sir Isaac Newton developed what we call the uh, the three laws of motion. And the third one seems to be the one that, that people are most familiar with, and that is the one that states for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So if you realize that, think of the words equal and opposite. If you're a handgun was really capable of delivering a shot to your opponent that would knock him back through the through the saloon doors it would knock you back the other way because you are in the opposite direction and you would be experiencing that opposite force so if you're thinking you're going to knock that guy back you're going to need to have a gun that's so powerful it's going to knock you back and that wouldn't be very practical would it so We go back to how do you incapacitate your aggressor? We incapacitate the aggressor with accurate hits in strategic places on the body. The brain and spinal cord are the only hits that will instantly incapacitate your opponent. Now deep penetration is is essential and it has to pass through your vital organs. The permanent cavity must be as large as possible. So remember, the permanent cavity is the the volume of body tissue that receives permanent damage. So we want that area to be as large as possible. Hollow points, hollow point bullets, increase permanent cavity, but they diminish penetration. Now, if you don't know hollow points, excuse me, if you don't know hollow points, they are bullets where the the tip of the bullet actually looks like a a volcano the old not all volcanoes look like that but when you have that crater in the top of the mountain that's the actual volcano part these hollow points look like that and the idea is when that hollow point strikes your attacker strikes your your target it causes the the bullet itself the projectile to mushroom out and increase in that projected frontal area. Remember I was talking about projected frontal area. It's like, like the area of the base of a cylinder and that's good and they work except when they don't. There are times when they don't. So hollow points um, expand like they should except when things happen. Like uh, if they if they hit bone like really soon, like a rib or something on the way in, that can actually uh, deform the shape of the bullet, which will inhibit its ability to mushroom out uniformly. So that will inhibit the expansion of the hollow point bullets. Also, believe it or not, it sounds strange, but I've I've seen this in other studies and other reports. Clothing fibers, certain clothing fibers, especially if you're going through thicker clothing, like in the winter time, clothing fibers can actually wrap the bullet. Because remember, uh, there's rifling inside your barrel that is causing that bullet to spin like a spiral path from uh nick Foles or uh, carson wentz so when that bullet goes through the clothing and it's spinning it can actually wrap fibers around it and and like uh, like loading straps on the the back of a pickup truck on moving day thinking about you next weekend son uh it can it can hold that bullet together so it doesn't mushroom out so you don't want to count on Uh, solely the fact that you have a hollow point as creating a larger cavity because sometimes it doesn't there's also bullets out there called frangibles and they just they just fragment on impact and they supposedly they go in all sorts of different directions but with the frangibles the penetration of those bullets is greatly greatly diminished uh, sometimes hardly at all Yes, they go in, but not very far at all. When you're looking at generally a statistic of uh, 12 inches, wanting to penetrate the body uh, as as deep as 12 inches in order to hit and go through vital organs, uh, the frangibles just don't get the job done. All right, so I've departed from my notes, so I'm going back and hit frangibles, hollow points, that's good, bones, clothing fibers, all right, hollow points are good, but you should not... That should not be your sole reliance on the effectiveness of your round. Now, hollow points, uh, people like them also for safety, because the idea is that when the hollow point hits the the target, hits the aggressor, and it expands, a lot of the energy is expended, and there's less a chance of over-penetration where the bullet goes through your victim and then possibly striking someone else on the other side of the victim that's the that's the idea behind using hollow points to prevent penetration. well according to the fbi report now this this i will be honest this when i read this this is something that challenged my own paradigm my own mode of thought about uh about hollow points the fbi report said that uh, over penetration is overrated it's an overrated problem and there was a few reasons Uh, One is that skin on the exit wound side of a body provides great resistance to the bullet. It it apparently stretches quite a bit and it's a little more of a struggle for the bullet to get out than when it goes in. And the report cited scientific research that said the, uh, the skin on the exit wound side of the body can provide as much resistance as four inches of muscle. So the point here is, upon the exit of the primary target, there is a whole lot of velocity left, uh, excuse me, lost from this bullet, making uh, whoever's standing behind that guy uh, less vulnerable to uh, an overpenetration strike. Now, the other point that they made, uh, I, I got to admit, I found kind of humorous. Not, not that I think it's humorously inaccurate, But uh, well, I'll I'll just read it. This is a quote from the report regarding overpenetration, the concerns about overpenetration. It says, any review of law enforcement shootings will reveal that the great majority of shots fired by officers do not hit any subjects at all. (laughs) These law enforcement officers, they're not hitting their subjects most of the time. Going back to the quote, it says, it should be obvious that the relatively few shots that do hit a subject are not somehow more dangerous to bystanders than the shots that miss the subject entirely. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. Does that strike you as funny as it strikes me? I I, I literally laughed out loud when I saw that. (laughs) It's like, okay, well, move on from there. I'm still, still chuckling on that. Uh, Here's the thing. Bullets won't penetrate if you don't hit your target. So penetration and that permanent cavity is what will incapacitate your component. It's what will do the fatal damage. But those things won't happen if you miss. So when you're choosing a caliber of gun for defensive use, whether it be carrier for home defense. Here's the key, choose the largest caliber that you can handle accurately and consistently. If you say, well, I'm gonna choose a 45 because it's gonna create the, the largest permanent cavity. Well, you're right, it will if you hit your aggressor. If you cannot handle the, the recoil or get shots on target, Uh, with a 45 it's going to be no good to you at all if you're missing so you choose the largest caliber that you can handle accurately and consistently and that's the caliber that you should choose for your your carry gun well speaking of defensive use of firearms it's back to story time here there's a home invasion case i want to look at from dublin california that's right, home invasion rate is increasing dramatically there. As a matter of fact, it's, it's Dublin. Okay, sorry for the dad joke there. Back to the story. This is in Dublin, California. Here's the cast of characters. There's the homeowner. His name's not given in the article. He's 29 years old. There is Adriana Navarro. She is 28, and she was the homeowner's ex-girlfriend. Then there's Ricky White, Jr., also 28, and he was Navarro's companion during this invasion. So as the story goes, Navarro and White knocked loudly on the homeowner's door around midnight. The homeowner saw who it was and acquired his legally uh, owned and acquired gun before answering the door. Navarro wanted to come and get her stuff back you know, at midnight. Sure. Words were exchanged. And I tell you what, if you knock on my door at midnight, we're going to have words. Okay. Unless you are uh, in an incredible dire need, we're going to have words. Words were exchanged between Navarro and the homeowner and White. And then the next thing you know, Navarro and White proceeded to assault the homeowner. The homeowner fired his gun as he fled his own residence to go call police. Navarro was struck and killed. The ex-girlfriend was struck and killed. And White, her companion, was struck, but not fatally so. Now, Navarro's death... Follow me closely here. Navarro's death is considered a murder. White, Ricky White, her companion is charged with the murder despite the apparent likelihood that the homeowner uh, was the one who fatally shot her. This is uh, an implementation of what's called the provocative act doctrine. So the uh, Nate Schmidt is the uh, Dublin police captain and he explained the provocative act doctrine uh, this way. He said, when a subject goes to commit a crime, and based on something that he does, causes, or provokes the victim to take uh, an act that causes the death of another, that suspect is culpable for the homicide. So White and Navarro uh, came with a rather provocative act, pounding on the door at midnight, making demands, assaulting, and, uh, and arguing. So that's, that's a pretty provocative act. And the fact that uh, Navarro's death resulted in the fact, it resulted by that provocative act, then one of the other conspirators, the surviving conspirator, White, is actually charged with her murder. He's responsible for her death, not the homeowner who was merely defending himself in, in this case. So uh, something for you to think about. What do you think about that? Personally, I think it kind of makes sense. I certainly would not be in favor of charging the homeowner with murder. That would be a terrible miscarriage of injustice. But this provocative act doctrine kind of makes sense to me, Um, which I find strange, actually saying that a law in California makes sense to me that has anything to do with, with firearms. So, Ricky White, the surviving of the two attackers, faces charges of murder for uh, Navarro, attempted murder for the homeowner, home invasion robbery, and burglary. So, what are our lessons here? Well, lesson number one, have your defensive gun handy at all times. Lesson number two is just a reinforcer from my dad. Dad always said, nothing good happens after midnight. As a matter of fact, I think the fathers of some of my girlfriends uh, said the same thing. We won't go into that. Another lesson, mind your own darn business. What was Ricky White doing knocking on somebody's door at midnight for Navarro's business of supposedly getting back property? It just doesn't make any sense. That is definitely a situation where you say, I don't want to get involved. Now, if, if the homeowner was the one who went to call upon Navarro and make demands and White was there and he was simply defending her life, that's a different story. But to physically go to somebody else's residence and take part in this, uh, this conflict, bad idea you imagine uh, what Navarro said to White? Maybe she said something like, uh, Come with me to my ex's house, and we'll force him to give me whatever stuff I claim is mine. Oh, yeah, and bring your gun. I could see him uh, responding with uh, that, that T-shirt that I've seen around. That's a terrible idea. What time? Well, speaking of time, Ricky White will probably be doing time, and it's quite possible he could be doing a lifetime so, mind your own business, folks. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember A is for attitude. Respect life, protect life. Keep your nose clean and your gun oiled. I'm Tom Bushy and we'll see you next time. This has been Attitude, Knowledge and Skill, the podcast outreach of AKS Firearms Instruction. Find us on the net at aksfi.com and AKS Firearms Instruction on Facebook. Go to the show notes for links to streaming services that carry this podcast, and please consider subscribing. Thank you for listening. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed.